Want to advertise your business in a cost-effective way? It's time to give podcast advertising a try. Research shows a high rate of podcast listeners made a purchase as a result of an ad they heard on a podcast. Visit podbean.com slash brands to launch a cost-effective podcast advertising campaign in minutes. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash brands. Welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. Hey, everybody. Welcome back uh, to Yolitics this week. Jason and Jason here. Jason, um, you know, everybody can't see you right now, but I can because we're recording this on Zoom. You look a lot here more we go. late. Here, here we go. You, no, here we no, go. No. What, what's it going to be, man? <laughs> you know, it's never good when it starts with everybody can't see you, but I can right. see you on Zoom. No, I was just going to say uh, it was actually a compliment. You look uh, more relaxed and laid back than you usually do. You're not as dressed up as I usually see you. Are you, uh, are you like in vacation mode now? I, I don't have any hair gel in because I have to go to Supercuts and get a haircut here in a few minutes. My hair is like... Yeah, it's taken off. It's like out of control now. Yeah, it, it, it's it's nuts, man. I, I wish I could just shave the whole thing down and be done with it, but uh, I can't do hey, that. Hey, don't wish it away. Like, as long as it's still growing and it's still uh, good and bushy up there, don't wish it away, man. Right. That's what right. I say. Do you, do you know what this is, man? This is... Um, there's a kind of a milestone that I, I didn't realize we had reached what is in that? this episode. This is technically our 100th episode. Wow. Are you kidding me? I didn't realize no, we had I, done I, that. Right. So somebody said, hey, you, you just did 100 episodes. And we went back and looked. And uh, evidently, our very first episode was our little two-minute trailer saying, hey, we're coming out with this podcast. Yeah. We don't know what it's going to be about, but please listen. And you guys have listened. So thank you very much for that. Uh, but this is technically the 100th episode. Wow! Uh, well, cheers to us. We're gonna have to. Yeah. We're gonna have to uh, do a toast to ourselves here in a minute when we open these beers. Uh, that's very exciting, though, because isn't that the uh, the sort of the threshold that you hear about, like with TV series and sitcoms and all that, where then they really get paid because it goes into syndication and all that. So I guess that's what's going to happen with us, right? Yeah, you know, Matt LeBlanc and Courtney Cox, they all got like a hundred grand an episode, uh, you know, after they hit that, that milestone. So we're about so, to get you know, paid. We're about to be in, you know what, I want just a Bitcoin. Just, <laughs> just give me one Bitcoin. Give, give me one Bitcoin, we'll, we'll call it we'll and, call it. And day, then I'll right? take the gamble after that as to what happens to that bit, one Bitcoin. If you've been investing in cryptocurrency, yeah. you know what I'm talking about. Uh, what are you drinking today? I think I know what you're drinking. Uh, you don't know what I'm drinking because uh, this was inspired by you, actually. Um, when you had, what was it you had last week? The Michelada? Uh, yeah. Michelada. Michelada, something like that. Yeah. Uh, which is essentially basically like what a beer being poured into a margarita, was, but you had it all it in one good, can. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that inspired me, and today I'm having a Shiner Sea Salt and Lime, which is also kind of in that margarita-ish family, I guess, because it's summer, and it just feels yeah. right. I feel like you need to put your feet in the sand for that one, man. Yeah, but I have no sand here, but I've got my Shiner Sea Salt and Lime. What are you drinking? I, I'm drinking uh, Oh yeah, something special today. I gave you one of these. You gave me three of these. Uh, yeah, and, and today was today was the episode where we're going to have this, but you, you can have it later on. So normally, uh, you know, Wheeler opened a Shiner, which is the classic Texas beer. Normally we have a Texas beer uh, with this podcast, Ice Cold Texas Beer, but... Uh, I got an email the other day, and there is a Kentucky company mm -hmm. from Covington, Kentucky, um, Braxton Brewing Company. They create something called garage beer. It's a lager, hmm. 
And uh, they're just outside, just south of the river there from Cincinnati, northern Kentucky. And they're about to go into H-E-B. And they said, hey, would you guys mind trying our lager beer? We're about to be on the store shelves in Texas. Tell us what you think. So let's crack it open. Well, and and now I feel like an idiot because you did leave that for me. And uh, I didn't realize we were doing it today. But you know what? They're going to get a two for one then. I'll have mine next week and, I, and I'll see what That's I think good. of it. Because lager is my, I think it's my favorite type. Yeah, it, it is good. I, I think I had it sitting out here for like an extra five minutes, but uh, <laughs> so, so it, it's, it's a good beer. It's from Kentucky. Yeah, it's from it's from Cincinnati. I mean, technically they're that's close enough. Covington, Kentucky, which is just across the river. Yeah, from uh, from Cincinnati. So the place Northern where we Kentucky. would normally associate with uh, bourbon uh, is uh, churning out some beer now. Yeah, isn't bourbon in uh, just south of Louisville? There, I don't know. I just know it comes from Kentucky. Yeah, right. Um, so, you know <laughs> what we're talking about today, and this is going to confuse a lot of, um, you know, my extended family, I think, because they use the words cement and concrete very interchangeably, you know? I do. do I didn't you, know there was a you're difference. One of, you're one of them. I, no, I, I didn't know there was a difference until we started researching this episode. Yeah, like, for instance, you don't really walk on cement, uh, because if you did, you're leaving footprints. I guess you could walk on it, and you're leaving footprints etched into the cement, okay? See, I thought it was like hard, when cement hardens... That's what you walk on. Uh, you walk on concrete. Uh, yeah. yeah. I know this now. Yeah, so so cement, it turns out, is just a, it's an ingredient in concrete. There's other things beyond even cement that is in concrete. So just, uh, the, I, I just want to put that little tutorial out there. And that's strictly for Jason Whiteley and my extended family members who, you know, constantly uh, interchange those two words. Um, because it, and the reason that we're talking about this today is we recently did this episode. You remember it, uh, where we were talking about housing and home building in Texas and how they just can't keep up with demand. And even if they can keep up with demand, you better be willing to shell out some bucks because uh, the the price of so many things has gone up. It's getting a lot more expensive to put up a home. And, you know, Jason, we kept on focusing on things like lumber and, you know, the, right. the copper wiring in the house and all of that sort of thing. One thing that I had not heard a whole lot about until very recently after we did that was cement, the one of the ingredients in concrete, as we now and, know. And I, you know, people don't realize, if you stop and think about it, yeah, it makes sense. But cement slash concrete um, it goes into everything. You're not going to build a house if you don't have a foundation mm -hmm. or an apartment building if you don't have a foundation. Forget the lumber. Forget, you know, the, the sinks and the copper wiring and all that other stuff. None of that matters if you don't have cement and concrete. You're so right. You use it to build bridges. You use it to build schools. You use it to put in oil wells uh, and gas wells to, to uh, you know, plug those things up, too. It, it, it is a, a critical piece of our infrastructure that you don't really think about it. I'm sure cement producers would just, you know, assume to have it that way. You know, and here's the interesting thing. A lot of these different shortages and supply chain disruptions that we've been talking about with these other materials, that has had to do with COVID mainly uh, because mm -hmm. it just messed up everything. 
uh, cement, uh, the bigger problem is that awful dreaded winter storm that we can't seem to shake all these months later as much as we would like to just shake that out of our memories. That disrupted everything. It affected a lot of different cement producers here in Texas uh, because it was just so bitterly cold. It affected their operations. And in some cases, it actually did damage uh, to their facilities. And it's having a real impact. And so we start the story off today with a guy named Michael Turner. He is a home builder with a, an outfit called Classic Urban Homes. And uh, I just talked to him recently because we were talking about other materials, and this is where this came up. And he was talking not only about the fact that, you know, it's hard to get your hands on enough cement to do the job these days, but also that it has gone up uh, pretty significantly in cost. So it's probably up about 10 to 12 percent uh, from, from where it's normally at. Uh, but now what we're dealing with is rationing, where you know your concrete contractor that normally could order as many trucks of concrete as he wanted to, uh, I hear rationing of uh, only 100 yards per day. Hmm. And put that in perspective. Put that into perspective. Okay, if you're pouring a you know a 4,000 square foot house uh, that's got some pretty deep uh, beams and that sort of thing in it, you're going to need probably 150 to 160 yards of concrete. That's more than your rationing. That's more than your rationing. So you're either having to borrow from your buddy, or you're having to go, hey, can I take half of my rationing from uh, from tomorrow and get that today so I can pour that, uh, that wow. foundation. That really slows things down. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because that means somebody else is going to get bumped now hmm. because you don't have enough concrete to pour his, uh, his foundation. Right. It's a big problem. Yeah, big problem to, to say the least. That's the understatement of the day. I had no idea, Jason. You know, a lot of people keep on saying, well, why don't they just build more homes? Here this guy is talking about how uh, there are days when he's got to borrow from a buddy because he needs to just pour one foundation. One foundation. And rationing concrete? I mean, we, we are at that level now, which is surprising. I, I don't know enough about home building, but I would think when you lay a foundation, you probably want to lay it all together. You don't want mm-hmm. to... You know, pour half of it and then do the bedrooms tomorrow and then, you know, hope you get in a third truck, you know, whenever. Now, I don't have a home as big as yours, of course, but, well, yeah. um, you know, it would still be uh, probably paramount that you do it all at once. Uh, you know, and, and, and the interesting thing to me is, and, and that's why I always like to ask someone to put something in perspective, because if you tell me 100 yards of concrete versus 150 yards and blah, 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 I don't know what you mean. But right. when you put it into perspective like that, it really brings it home and... I like the perspective that Michael Turner added there as well when he says, I used to be able to get as many cement trucks as I wanted to out on these job sites. I mean, you can imagine if you're a cement transporter, you're like, yeah, how many trucks would you like? We'll be glad to send 100 your way uh, if you're going to pour a whole subdivision. Uh, and, and, And now he can get just one portion of a 4,000 square foot house for the foundation. I mean, that's that really puts it into perspective as to what's going on here. So we started poking around about this, Jason, and, you know, cement producers and cement transporters and all of that, they, you know, they're a bunch of folks who are working, you know, crazy hard, especially now with, you know, this tight supply that they're dealing with. And uh, it seems like either no one wanted to talk to us very much or they didn't have time to talk to us very much. But the funny thing is, is I always ask, well, then who is the person to talk to? And one after another, after another, after another, they all kept on pointing us to the same guy. And he is, you can't forget the name, he is the other Ed Sullivan. 
that's his real name, Ed Sullivan, just like the uh, entertainer of yore. You watch a lot of those old TV shows. Uh, you probably yore. love Ed Sullivan. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles. <laughs> I knew. I knew you'd have something for us there. Uh, so he is the senior vice president and the chief economist of the Portland Cement Association. And you're going, Portland? Portland cement is actually the most common kind of cement that is in concrete. So he's with the Portland Cement Association. Uh, and he is, uh, as I say, their chief economist and senior vice president of market intelligence. Uh, but let's get him on the line here to, first of all, uh, you know, tell us, Ed, what exactly is it that you do? What do I do? What I tell him, I tell him I'm a storyteller. <laughs> I tell stories uh, to CEOs and senior staff so that they can make decisions regarding um, all sorts of things, uh, but- uh, investments, et cetera. Um, the other thing that people sometimes get confused about is the difference between cement and concrete. Yeah. Uh, they're not the same. Uh, you know, the Beville, Beverly Hillbillies kind of got hmm. that confusion going when they were all going to go swimming in the cement pond. But cement pond. Is, there's a difference between the two. Cement is a, is a component of concrete. Mm-hmm. Um, it's critically important industry. And I think you, you two noted that. Um, it's often flies under the radar. We don't see how important it is. But it's critically important. And those decisions that the CEOs make are critical to some of the foundations of terms of what the economy happens. So, yeah, uh, I'm a storyteller. Sometimes it's a nightmare. The story I tell, sometimes it's a it's a fairy tale. But I'm a storyteller. So some of the reasons might be obvious, but explain to our listeners why it is such a critical part of the economy. Well, you know, I, I think you mentioned you can't pour foundation, whether for a home or for a new office building. You can't build a bridge. Paved roads that take on heavy traffic. Those are all concrete. Water issues, water supply. You want a green America? You better look at cement supply foundations for windmills, cement, oil well drilling, um, levees, all these things go into, um, or come from cement. Keep in mind, you know, they say one of the biggest areas for CO2 emissions is um, the housing area. Um, Cement, its properties, it's so dense, it's so um, durable. It saves on electric use because the heating and cooling expenses are lower. Um, You know, so it's critically important in terms of some of the green initiatives that go on, as well as some of the other things, you know, just normal construction, whether it's a school or highway or what have you, it's critically important. Do we have enough of it? It's a two-pronged question. Um, Number one, right now, in this cycle, like many industries across the country, uh, we're reawakening. And we're reawakening our supply chains in the context of very strong demand. You know, 
2019, Texas hit a historical record in terms of cement consumption. It's the largest consumer, state consumer in the country. And hmm. last year, it took a little bit of a pause. It maintained those levels. This year, the growth is resuming. So number one, we're trying to reawaken our supply chain and demand is there. In my mind, that's a cyclical issue. And we can get into the details of what what has caused the, the current tightness. But there is a second issue and that maybe some people can get confused. That if we have this cyclical tightening, short term, relatively short term, what impact does that have on the infrastructure bill that President Biden is putting forth? And that's a completely different story. Mm-hmm. We have more than ample capacity to meet whatever uh, demand uh, uh, the infrastructure bill uh, entails. So, you know, it's important that we keep those two things separate. Um, it's unique circumstances that we're dealing with right now. And it's as a response to COVID. Ed, walk us through this a, a tad more. Did, did When COVID struck, did, did, did cement manufacturers just essentially shut down and that, uh, you know, restricted the supply? Is, is that what happened? And now as everyone's trying to reawaken, as you say, that, that there's just the demand is, is overwhelming? Well, um, Texas is unique. Um, you know, look, uh, you went through some very harsh times back in February, didn't you? Yeah. And that shut down some plants. When you shut down a cement plant, it's not turning a switch and everything's back to normal. It takes uh, a week or two. Secondly, you know, when that hard weather hit, um, you also knocked off natural gas exports to Mexico. Well, that's where we come. Some of our imports to Texas come from. You know, um, there have been estimates that the combination of those two restricted as much as half a million tons to the the Texas market. Yeah, keep in mind, that's occurring in the context of strong demand. Next part. And this is something I think is not unique to the cement industry. During COVID, certain contract labor were not allowed onto the facilities. Well, a lot of those contract labor at some plants do maintenance. So if you postpone maintenance, guess what? You get away with it for a while, but it hits you at the end. I think there's a third part that you have to consider. And the cement industry, typically, construction slows down in the fall. And then it amps up right now, June, July, August, peak construction seasons. Well, with the harsh weather that you had in February, with the strong demand, with some of the unanticipated um, production hindrances because of maintenance, the inventories weren't built to the levels that they typically are. And here we are. Here we now are in terms of you know, um, market tightness. Certain areas are worse than others, according to my conversations around the country. Um, Dallas is, is the worst in the country right now. Dallas is the worst in the country right now? Yeah. 
you know, it's, it's, it's again, the unique production things that went on in February and, um, and continue now. That Dallas me. is a very strong market as well. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, Ed, that leads me right into to my next thought on this. Um, you know, we, we know that there were disruptions to a lot of these plants uh, in Texas in that February winter storm. And, and a lot of those were temporary uh, and, and very quickly they were able to come back online. Uh, but it did lasting damage in some places, including in uh, you know, Midlothian. And I think a lot of people uh, have never even heard of this company. And, and I hope I'm pronouncing their name right. Lafarge Holsim. Uh, it has a huge uh, cement plant there, and they had a kiln, and I've been actually speaking back and forth with them about this. They tell me that they have a kiln there. It's one of two big clinker kilns, they call them, uh, and it was damaged uh, in after that storm, and they've had to you know, basically wait for uh, the repairs to get done on that. They're expecting, yeah. hopefully, maybe by the end of summer, but that thing, that one kiln uh, can produce up to 1.34 million tons a year uh how significant is it in the grand scheme when something like that goes offline for months and months well let me just two points you know um i'm an advocate for the industry Uh, i don't think any of my members would be thrilled with me commenting on any specific issues but let's put it into perspective you know um i mentioned that texas is the largest cement consuming state in the country. It's 17 million tons. So, you know, um, and in addition, keep in mind that cement um, travels. So even if you had a disruption in Texas, you could be pulling cement through the riverways, et cetera, from all over the country. Um, So does it have an impact? Anytime you restrict supply, it has an impact. Um, But I I really want to stay away from commenting specifically on any uh, particular company's uh, issues. Ed, let's zoom out a tad so people who are listening get a a full understanding of this. Cement, which goes into concrete, this is, you know, used not only for, you know, roads, foundations, oil and gas drilling here in Texas. It's it's used in, in places that a lot of listeners might not realize and and I would think that this has the potential, the shortage, to really impact and p- perhaps you know really slow down a, a broader swath of the economy. Because if you can't lay a foundation, uh, essentially, you can't do anything else. Well, that's true. Um, you know, it, it contributes to all building activity. Okay, um, and to the extent that there is shortages. You temporary delay, you prioritize, and you temporary delay potential production projects. But you know, we're in an economic environment now where everything looks pretty optimistic. Everything looks pretty bright. To the extent that you don't deliver this by, by, the, the, uh, uh, by the fall, um, you probably recapture that demand or that consumption next year. So let's go back. Let's turn back a little bit. And I think one of the issues is, well, how long is this thing going to last? In our mind, it is a temporary inventory situation. Those tight supplies will last until 
the um, construction peak selling period is over. And that's not going to occur until, you know, the, the, the probably late third, early fourth quarter when the cooler weather sets in. So we're going to be here for a while. It will have a, it will bridle um, construction activity to a certain extent. Um, but again, what you maybe miss this year, more than likely you're going to recapture next year because it's likely that the current economic momentum that we see now continues. Ed, uh, you've been lauded as, as one of the most accurate economists out there when it comes to things like this, and, and you spend your days basically uh, looking into a crystal ball as to what we're going to see down the road with cement and with concrete. Uh, and, and I wanted to ask, what do you think we're going to see as we head through summer here? Uh, I was just talking to someone the other day who was saying that you know, we've actually been helped a little bit by the weather recently because it's been so rainy in Texas that a lot of uh, this stuff hasn't gotten poured. Uh, and so it's allowed inventory to build up a little bit. But uh, th- this uh, one contractor was telling me that they'll eat through that supply that's sitting on the shelf. They'll eat through that in three weeks and then it's going to get super competitive. Is that what you're seeing? Uh, I think it's likely. I mean, Texas is a very strong market, as I mentioned. Um you know, they, they got a respite because of the weather. Um, but, uh, you know, look, um, the, the, the conditions that of tightness uh, aren't going to go away quickly. So I think it would be a false narrative to suggest something else. Uh, I, again, I, I, I think it, it's possible that if not continue, they could even uh, intensify. But again, it's in my mind, it's a temporary type of a deal. Again, somewhere in late third, early fourth, we're starting to see things ease. Then what you're into is a season where you have an inventory build going on, and then you're set for the spring selling season 2022. Ed, if this intensifies, what does that look like? Well, uh, it, it just means, you know, um, um, further uh, uh, constraints in terms of sourcing the material. But again, keep in mind, um, uh, uh, cement is fluid. It will move from one region to another. And not everyone is, uh, not every state or region is experiencing the tight growth that we see now. So you will see flow, interstate flow, cement. The second thing to keep in mind is since this thing started, uh, increase in imports has occurred. We saw imports reach a 20 million uh, metric tons SAR in the latest data. That's a huge increase. And so what you are seeing is efforts to support or reinforce existing import activity and the domestic uh, production. And a lot of that is coming into um, you know, the Texas ports. So, um, you know, things will intensify potentially, but the responses to those will also increase. So if you're looking for, I think, uh, a crisis or something like that, uh, a tremendous uh, uh, bridling of demand, um, I don't think it's gonna happen. I, I think the supply side will also respond 
this and maybe perhaps mitigate what could be the worst effects. Uh, is there anything right now, because Texas is one of like, I think you said in, in the report, 25 states that are experiencing some level of uh, cement tightness. Is there anything right now that government can do to to ease that? Or is this just an industry thing that has to shake out and the supply chains have to get back to normal? Yeah, I, I think right now is uh, there's little that can be done. Um, you know, it's all going to be dependent upon how how, how intense um uh, uh, demand is in the, going through the construction season. It's going to be dependent upon how uh, much cement imports we can bring in and uh, how easily we can ramp up uh, production. Those are going to be the three ingredients. It's, it's, uh, so um, I don't know of what the government can do. Typically, government actions and policies take quite a while to act. Mm-hmm. And this could be all over you know, um, come the fourth quarter. So I, I would say right now is um, let the, the cement professionals do their jobs. And that's probably the best way to go. Yeah, I want to go back to something you said earlier in the conversation, and that is the infrastructure bill that President Biden is trying to get passed. Who knows when and, and if that will actually come to fruition and what exactly it might include. But if you throw this in and some shovel-ready projects on top of the already tight supply we see in Texas and across the country, will that just exacerbate the situation? No, um, and here's why. Uh, I think um, timing is a critical, uh, uh, a critical, critical factor. Look, you could pass the bill now, and it doesn't mean construction happens overnight. In our mind, if they pass the bill now, there's bid letting, there's review, there's a whole bunch of paperwork. Who gets the money? All that has to be worked out. Um, that's going to take till probably early 2023. By that time, it's review mirror. This 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 te- this shortage which review is temporary. I think the second thing you have to understand is, let's suppose I give you a billion dollars to spend in your first year. You don't spend it all. You allocate it the first year, and it's spent incrementally over several years. So initially, what you see is rather small, you know. Maybe some people would say disappointing volumes associated with the program. So it's going to come later, and the initial volume will be smaller. Hmm. Given a number of years for it to go through, we're looking at that at the current face value of the Biden plan, that 2.2. Keep in mind, a lot of that was not traditional infrastructure. Uh, We estimate that's going to add about uh, 7 million metric tons annually. And that takes into consideration not only a traditional infrastructure, but that includes affordable homes. And then we deduct the adverse impact on taxes that comes from that. So, um, you know, uh, do we have an extra 7 million metric tons of capacity? You bet we do. And we can respond to that very easily, particularly if you get have the time frame begin in 2023. Hmm. Ed, we'll take the weird pandemic year out of it, 2020, but you were saying in 2019 that Texas pulled ahead and, and had the biggest demand for, for cement in the country. Do you see that resuming this year and, and, and maybe into future years? Yeah. Um, well, Texas has been um, the leader in cement consumption among the states for a while. Hmm. But what happened is, is cement consumption in 2019 increased by almost nine, almost 10%. I think it was 9.9%. That's huge increase on a very large market. 
So uh, last year, uh, because of COVID, because of some of the supply issues and what have you, um, we stayed at the the, um, the the peak level. It's resuming this year. You've got uh, not only residential that's growing. Keep in mind, last year was not the greatest year for the energy industry. That's coming back a little bit. And now you've also got some very uh, strong spending on the public side. Mm. To put it into perspective, we're talking about the rankings of states. If you took only the, um, the public sector in Texas, forget about everything else, it's either the third or the fourth largest state. It would be ranking that high. So when you say public is going to expand, which we believe will in Texas, boy, that's a lot of volume. So yeah, we're expecting it to grow again this year and next year and the year after. And our scenario does not include an infrastructure program built into it. Hmm. Uh, That's our baseline. So if it is, then the cement industry in Texas is gonna show even more robust growth beginning in 2023 and beyond. Uh, Ed, we're gonna have to let you go here in a second. I know you've got a million things, but I have to ask you for the map, the career map here, uh, because you are the senior vice president of market intelligence there. Uh, But you used to be a a senior intelligence officer for the CIA, which is, is fascinating. How does that, how does that happen? How do you end up where you are from that? Yeah, I've had a wonderful career. And, I, and I'll tell you something, Jason, the CIA was wonderful. And I, I really had uh, some great uh, uh, great experiences there. But you know the best? Uh, I was teaching college when I was 24 at an all-women's college. That's the thing. Forget about the CIA, Jason. That's what is the highlight of my career. <laughs> at age an 24. Route. <laughs> Ed, thank you for taking the time. We, uh, we really appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Jason. Jason, thank you for having me. So did you notice there, he he wouldn't say anything about the CIA. Yeah. He, he quickly he quickly pivoted, <laughs> which tells me he's a pro. Yeah. He's very good at what he does. That means that Ed knows all the secrets. Like, Ed he, is so afraid that something yeah. really good is going to spill out that he can't even totally acknowledge the fact that he was a senior analyst with the CIA. No, no. senior intelligence officer. Senior, I don't, senior intelligence he, officer, my he bad. He didn't tell us what he was doing, but I, I don't I don't get the idea that he was analyzing anything. I, I think he might have been collecting, uh, but I don't know if he was a, a case agent, if he was clandestine or what. That's the he, thing is that we'll never know because Ed no. very smartly moved. Oh, but, you know, and, and it created could just a be, distraction. And it yeah, could, he created a distraction. I, you know what? It could just be, though, that in Ed's mind, what he said really was more salient. The fact that he was teaching uh, at the age of what twenty four uh, at a college, yeah, yeah. At, a, at an all women's college. So, <laughs> yeah, there's that. And, and so he left that to go to the CIA. I mean, come on. Well, 
Uh, things I, happen. I we just we, we will never know the full story because Ed's not going to fill us in on that part of it. Very wise, not. very wise man there. Yeah, great perspective though uh, as to what's going on. As you know, Texas. You know, we we'll see. Does it uh, you know get back its you know powerhouse status? Uh, it, it sounds like it's going to uh, this year as things just rock on here. Even though we've got this tightness in supply, uh, I do want to say that that uh, big uh, cement manufacturer there in Midlothian that had the issues uh, with the kiln. Uh, they're expecting, as we said, that maybe they'll have this thing straightened out by later this summer. Uh, and Ed says, you know, maybe by the time we get to the end of this year, this is just sort of uh, way back in the forgotten past. Uh, and, and we're you know chugging along here in Texas, laying down that cement, turning it into concrete out there. But, you know, but un- until then, though, Dallas remains the worst. It remains I mean, the worst in the country. In the country. I mean, that's just, that's remarkable to me. That's something to think about if you are, you know, putting in a foundation, trying to build a home right now, or, you know, maybe if you're one of these many, many, many people who is putting in a pool. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it, it affects everything. I mean, we walk on it, we drive on it, we live on it, we work on it. Uh, you swim in it? Yeah, you swim in it sometimes. And remember, it's not the cement pond. It is the concrete pond. The hillbillies had it wrong. The hillbillies. You watched them, didn't you? <laughs> I did watch the Beverly Hillbillies. And are the hillbillies are from Kentucky. I think they're from eastern Kentucky, not northern Kentucky. No, they were from Tennessee, weren't they? No. They were from, you know, they were from where you're from. They no, were from they're Tennessee. they're from Kentucky. Look it up. Google it right now. They're from Kentucky, right. like the, the you, hills of Appalachia, which go through Tennessee and West Virginia and everywhere. But I think they're like eastern Kentucky. Where were the Beverly Kentucky. hillbillies from? I'm doing it voice-wise because we've got to wrap this up here. You start wrapping us up. It says that they came from Missouri. No. Neither one of us is right. What search engine do you use? Come on, man. I I used Google. Wait, Wikipedia? Yeah. Um, It just says backwoods family from the hills of the... You know what drives me crazy is when they do that and then they put the ellipse and then you've got to click it to go in and find it. The Ozarks. They were from the Ozarks, which is Missouri. Really? Yeah. Wow. Okay, well... No, you know what? Dukes of Hazard. that's who it was. I'll tell you what. This podcast will make you smarter with all kinds of things, like even <laughs> mindless trivia. You know, you might get that question someday in a trivia game, and you're going to know, yeah, they're from the Ozarks, Missouri. Get, give us some credit, because we give you guys credit for sticking with us for 100 episodes. 100 I can't episodes. believe we already have 100 under our Did belts, the Beverly so. Hillbillies even have 100 episodes? I don't think they did. Ooh. Do I need to look that up next? Of, of y'all don't look that up now, man. <laughs> Th- thanks so much for uh, for listening to us. We really appreciate it. Thanks for sticking with us for 100 episodes. We hope to have 100 more. Uh, we'll see what Jason's agent can work out with the management and uh, salary-wise. <laughs> Got to get paid. We'll report back to you next week. <laughs> Take care. We'll see you next week. <laughs>